Amen. Can we just take a moment and thank our worship team? Let's thank our worship team. They do such a great job. They sound like a 50-member choir up here, do they not? They sound fantastic. And so thank you guys for how you serve the body here. And um, thank you, worship team, for how you lead. And it's, it's an honor to be a part of what happens here. Um, I love it. So um, good morning, everybody. As Derek said, I am Jason. If you're a visitor here, I'm the worship pastor. I'm typically the guy who's just playing the guitar, but we switched it up today. Um, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you today. And so if you have your copy of the Word, go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Um, but before we do that, there's a couple of things that um, we need to take, a, take care of. Number one... Um, I'm having a really good day today because one of my children told me that I look cool today. So that's a great morning. I, don't, I mean, it, it, whatever you might, may think, when your kids tell you you look cool, I mean, does it get any better than that? I don't know that it does. But, um, but I'm happy to, to have the opportunity not just to put a jacket on and, and a tie, but I'm happy to have an opportunity to look at God's Word from the, from the sense that um, you know, we've talked about that this is the part of Revelation that can be a little challenging. Uh, but today, I hope what we're going to see is that God is good through all of it. That even when it looks like a really challenging passage, we see God's goodness in that. And I think it'll be really helpful for us to just take a step back and look at where we've been over the past couple of weeks in order to see the connection to where we're going today. So if you'll remember, over the last couple of weeks... Pastor Derek has led us through chapter 12 of Revelation, and we saw this woman and her child, and they are pitted against a dragon that is fighting against them. And Pastor Derek helps us to see that they represent the church and Jesus and Satan. And we talked about how there's this battle that has been waged and is still ongoing. And even though the dragon has been defeated, even though he is a defeated foe, he still lashes out against God and his people. And right at the end of chapter 12, we see one sentence that really sets the scene for us today. Look at what it says there, um, right at the end of chapter 12, the last sentence. And he stood, he, the dragon or Satan, stood on the sand of the sea. And in my mind, I see this really cinematically. Like, you know that, like... Um, the bad guy, he's really angry, and he's standing on the edge of the ocean, and the camera zooms in on him, and then you know it's going to be like a commercial break, or, or it's the end of the episode, or you have to wait for part two to come out at the theater in a year. But it's just really cinematic, and it's one of those climax scenes where you know that something big is about to happen, right? Well, thankfully, we don't have to wait another week. We don't have to wait another year. We get to see what happens today, all right? So let's look at Revelation chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you could, if you're able, stand with me as we read God's Word today. This is Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So remember, Satan is standing on the shore, and he now, John now sees a beast rising out of the sea. With ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast 
saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. So in this passage today, we're faced with a being that has commonly been referred to as the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And even though that word, Antichrist, does not appear anywhere in the book of Revelation, um, that thought has made its way into this passage. And I, I read an article this past week that said this, that on November 1st, 1999, Newsweek Magazine's cover story was a story called Prophecy. And in that article, it reported that 40% of U.S. adults believe the world will end in a battle of Armageddon between Jesus and the Antichrist. And it also reported that 19% of Americans believe the Antichrist was alive on earth right now in 1999. And now, I, I know that a lot of Christian culture uh, would love to speculate about who that individual will be, where he will come from, and when he will come. And I, I, would, I would caution us that throughout history, every time a person or a group of people has tried to attach a, that label of Antichrist to a specific person, they've been wrong. <laughs> because those people have come and passed. So, what I would like for us to do is to not get caught in the trap of focusing on the Antichrist today. I would rather follow the line of thinking that uh, Danny Aiken takes in his commentary when he writes this. He says, I believe Revelation 13 and the Bible's teaching on the Antichrist is not intended to provoke our speculation as to who he is. Rather, I think, I think God's design is to instruct us now and in every generation concerning what those who are against Christ do and how they work as they are empowered and, and deployed by the dragon. This text seeks to enlighten us on the devices of the devil or the strategies of Satan. So what I want us to do today is heed that instruction. I think it's really helpful for us to not focus so much on the beast and who he is or where he's coming from or, or when he's coming, but let's look at the strategies that the devil is employing and how we might fight back against those even now. So it's helpful for us today, and I think there's three things that we see in this text that we learn about the attacks and the strategies of the devil that are going to help us today live for Christ, all right? The first thing we see here is that Satan will war against God and his people. Satan will war against God and his people. If you're taking notes, I would write that down. And now you may be saying, uh, yeah, Jason, we know that. We've been talking about it for months in the book of Revelation. Yes, that's a valid point. We have been talking about that for months. But it's a point that we must remember because I think it's easy for us 
now to read this passage and think, well, yeah, I mean, that's going to be terrible in the future when that comes. Or we look at it and say, well, this was written a long time ago, and that may have been true then, but he's not doing that today. It's easy to fall into that trap and think that. But the truth is, Satan is at work to try to fight against God and his people throughout history, including right now. We need to remember that. So the scene of Satan standing on the seashore is the setting of his final push to attempt to overthrow the kingdom of God. And even though he's a defeated enemy, even though Christ ultimately wins, he will continue to try to lash out against God and his people until that final moment. So this scene continues with a beast that rises from the waters of the ocean, and it's a fearsome beast. It has the body of a leopard, it has the feet of a bear, it has a mouth like a lion, it has ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns. You can only imagine the scene that John is seeing. It's a fearsome beast that he sees here. It would have been terrifying. The thing is, we've seen imagery like this before in Scripture. This, the description that John has of this beast is very close to a vision that Daniel has in Daniel 7, 1 through 8. We're not going to read that today, but let me just summarize it for you. It has very similar language. In that vision, Daniel sees four beasts, one that has the body of a leopard, one that looks like a bear, one that looks like a lion, and then one that's like this fearsome beast with all these horns and everything. And so this is Sort of what, what, what John sees here is like an amalgamation of, of that vision that Daniel had. And his readers would have been very familiar with Daniel's prophecy. And so John is drawing his readers' attention back to that scene, that this is kind of the same thing. That vision that Daniel had hundreds of years ago, my readers here now in the first century, this is the same kind of vision that I'm having. So this beast is a powerful, powerful beast and he gets his power directly from the dragon. On its head, it has ten horns and ten crowns. And there's going to be more discussion about what these crowns and horns could represent later on in the book of Revelation, specifically in chapter 17. But for now, I think we can safely say that this beast has incredible power, he has incredible authority, and he's a strong beast. So we see how Satan is changing his tactics a little bit. In this final push, Satan is changing his tactics. That by sending out this beast first with great authority and power, he's attempting to subdue the world through political authority or domination even or some other power just to kind of steamroll creation at this point. And really, in conjunction with the second beast that we'll learn about next week in the second half of this chapter, Satan is forming a battle plan that will seek to control the entire world. He's trying to control the entire world. Look with me again at what verses 6 and 7 say about the tactics of this beast. In verse 6, it says, It opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So this beast has this power and authority over the entire world. Every, na or every people, every nation, every tribe, and every language. And he hates 
anything and anyone devoted to the one true God, and he attacks them with the most vigor. And the beast is allowed to make war against the people of God and to conquer them, it says. Now, this does not mean that these saints of God, these believers still on earth at this point, it does not mean that they surrender their faith in God. Rather, it means that God allows the beast to take their lives. That the beast persecutes God's people, and many will lose their lives as they faithfully stand for Jesus. And we learn so much about how we are to live out our faith in Jesus here in this passage. It's a crucial test of faith. The people of God give up their lives rather than give up their confidence in God. We talked about this last week, that, um, that the people of God overcome um, look at what it says. Listen to what it says here uh, in verse 11 of chapter 12. It says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That they did not love their life more than they loved their God. They lived for him. And so, although this beast has universal authority over the people of the earth, the victory still belongs to God and his people. The true victory against the war of Satan is what we learned about last week, that the dragon is conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony of God's people. So the way that these saints of God stand firm in their faith against the attacks of Satan serves as a testimony of their faith in God who has overcome the lamb. So Satan will war against God and his people, but let's also consider what he's trying to do here in this passage as well. So the second thing that we see here is that Satan will try again to set up his false kingdom. Satan will try again to set up his false kingdom. What, what we can see in all of chapter 13 is that Satan is attempting to set up an unholy trinity to battle against the true God. That this trinity consists of the dragon or Satan himself and these two beasts that are presented here in chapter 13. And he's trying his best to salvage what he can of his crumbling kingdom as the kingdom of God is breaking through. Remember, we've been talking about how it's almost like uh, Satan had built his kingdom around the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is bursting through. Remember, we've had that imagery through the whole series of Revelation? This would be the audience participation portion. You remember that, right? Yes, okay. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. So we, we, we have this kingdom that's crumbling as the kingdom of God is bursting through, and Satan is clawing at whatever he can to try to put this kingdom back together. And so he's going to try again to do that. We see this beginning really in verse 2. Look again at what it says. And to it, to the beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One thing that's really important for us to remember here is that this beast has no power on its own. This beast has no power on its own. It derives its total rule over the earth from the dragon, from Satan. So any dominion or authority it has comes from Satan, and it's therefore demonic. Satan is a powerful foe for us. He's not someone that we should overemphasize, but he's also not someone that we should underemphasize either. Satan is a powerful enemy that we battle against. And the staying power of the beast and its empire leads to worship of both the beast and the dragon by humanity. Humanity, those who do not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, begin to worship the beast 
and the dragon. So the whole earth begins to submit to his authority. And as the world wonders at the power of the beast, it turns to worship. The worship of God is substituted by worship of the dragon and the beast. You can see that this is not going to end well, right? And it's important to note, however, that Satan and the beast do not have ultimate power. They, do, they are not sovereign over the universe, because four times in this chapter, we see the phrase, it was given, in reference to power. So it's not like any of these characters, the beast or Satan or the second beast that we'll see next week, none of them have power in, in and of themselves, that it is given to them. God is still reigning and ruling over everything that these beasts and the dragon does. God is still sovereignly in control of all things here. It's not as if he's lost control of the situation. The reign of the beast is by divine permission. And he operates, this unholy trinity operates within the limitations set by God, and it causes the beast to be filled with incredible anger and fury because he knows his time is short. Unbelieving humanity around the world at this point in this chapter is worshiping the beast as God, making a mockery of true worship that only belongs to God himself. So while the saints are battled against, the rest of humanity is practicing devil worship on a worldwide scale. They see his power and authority and they worship him, believing that he can't be overcome. And it seems really preposterous to us to think, how in the world would people be so deluded to look at this beast or this dragon and begin to worship him? But the people of the world actually worship the dragon as God, and they give the beast the position that belongs to Jesus alone. So Satan can work through many different mediums, as we see in this passage, to try to set up this false kingdom. We see here specifically that he's masterful at perverting the goodness of God for his own pleasures. He'll do whatever he can to attempt to set up a kingdom for himself. He does that even now in our lives, that he perverts the goodness of God to make us think something that is not true about God. We see that happen every day. The good thing is that there is hope in this passage, because you could look at these first 10 verses and be like, my goodness, how do you pull anything chipper or cheery out of these 10 verses? Well, we find it in this final thing. We see the third thing is that God gives us strength to stand against the attacks of Satan. God gives us the strength to stand against the attacks of Satan. So, let's remind ourselves of the scene. We, we've seen that the whole world, apart from those who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will join in worshiping the beast and the dragon. And they've really fallen for one of Satan's oldest tactics. I mean, re remember uh, in the Gospels when Jesus was tempted uh, out in the desert by Satan? He asked Jesus at one point to bow down and worship him. And that tactic re returns here in its ultimate form, that Satan is asking all of the world to bow down to him. And as John refers to them, the people who dwell on earth fall for the lie. That those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life give their allegiance to the beast, and they demonstrate that they do not follow the one true God. But there's another group on earth at this point that do not give their allegiance to the dragon or the beast. They follow a different leader. They have their names written in the Lamb's book of life because their names 
uh, are written there, they are guarded from being deceived by the lies of the beast. Those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life are guarded from the lies of the beast. And I, I love this passage because God used this very passage to call me into a relationship with him. I remember as a nine-year-old boy sitting in the little sanctuary of Post Oak Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia, and hearing about having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, being the only way that you can be sealed for heaven. And, and even, even as a little boy, I remember thinking, I got to make sure my name's in that book. I got to make sure my name's written in that book. The Holy Spirit called me into a relationship on that August night in 1993, and he showed me that my name had been written in that book from before the foundation of the world. And I praise God for that fact every day. That's what gives me the strength to face the difficulties of every day. It's interesting here to me that in verse 9, John returns to the formula that he used in the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. That he says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Remember he said that, um, if you were to go back and look at uh, chapters 2 and 3, is the letters to the seven churches, there's always a phrase where he says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And really, it's just a simple invitation to pay attention to what's about to be said. Pay attention, um, because it's going to have some spiritual significance. What I'm about to say is important. And if we're being honest... The words that John says here, after he says, if you have an ear, let, let you hear, these are hard words to hear. Even more difficult at times than what we've already read in the first eight verses of this chapter of this beast who's given power and the ability to make war against the people of God and to conquer them. But what we hear here is a little more difficult, I think. But it's a call to ready ourselves in Christ. John writes... Some believers will be destined for captivity, and into captivity they will go. He writes that others will be destined for death by the sword, and to death they will go. These are difficult words. But these things do not mean that God has abandoned these believers or forgotten about them. What the beast does, remember, is not outside of God's sovereign rule of the universe. He's only able to do that which is in accord with God's will. So believers are called upon to stand firm, remain faithful to their Lord in the face of difficulty. We as believers even now must endure in our faith despite hardships and persecution that will come. I mean, we sang about this just a while ago, that, that bridge to Christ be magnified. I won't bow down to idols. I'll stand tall and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into the resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you in your eyes. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints... My heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Christ, be magnified in me. So even though we might face difficulty, even though we might have persecution in this life, even though days are hard and things don't go our way, we can stand firm in our faith in God. And this isn't just a call for future generation of believers it's a call for all generations of believers, us now, to hear and to heed that we must stand 
firm in our faith in the one true God, no matter what we may face in this life. And God will give us the strength to do that. We can trust in that. We read promises of it over and over again in Scripture that God will give us the strength. So, how do we respond today? Well, quite simply, we must stand firm. We must stand firm. Now, that doesn't mean that we should expect our lives as followers of Christ to be easy. God promises us that difficulty will come. We must be willing, however, to suffer and potentially to give our all for Christ. We must persevere to the end for the sake of our Lord. Paul wrote about this exact thing in Romans. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How many of you would agree with me, by a show of hands, this life is difficult at times? It's pretty universal. Life's hard. Life is difficult. We face situations every day. We've, our family faced situations just this week that were difficult. And yet, we can stand firm in our faith and trust in the Lord. We cannot give in to the pressure that we face in life to look for the easy way out. We have to trust in the Lord, that His plan is best, that He is sovereignly in control of all things. Because we easily could look at this passage and be like, God, just make this stop. But there's a purpose in this. We'll see that as we move on in later chapters here in Revelation. But there's a purpose in this. And God uses this to glorify himself. We must choose to be on the side of Christ. I want to end this morning with a quote. Uh, John Piper, in, in one of his books, he has a quote where he states this. The main point of the book of Revelation is that Christ wins in the end. And that you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life so that you don't get any mark of belonging to any beastly power is absolutely essential. Those who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life are enabled not to give in to any beastly power that comes along. And that's the most important thing for us, that we love Christ so much that we defeat Satan by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. So, my question to you today is this. What testimony is your life giving right now? Is the word of your testimony that Christ is the Savior of the world who overcomes? Or is your testimony that you're trusting in something else? Because I can promise you, if, if your testimony is saying, I trust in something else, that something else is going to let you down. I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but it's true. That if you're trusting in anything other than God, it will let you down. So today, we have the opportunity to change our testimony. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting. That we can say today, January 22nd, 2023, my testimony is that I trust in God. And I stand firm on faith in Him. Even if you maybe have made that declaration before and you've, you've wandered away from that, you can come back today. And God is saying with open arms, come in to me. Your name's written in the book. You're sealed from the lies of the enemy. And you can trust in him today. And so today, we have an opportunity to respond. That we can look to God and say, I need help. 
I can't do this on my own. And God says, I know, I know, but I'm here. I'm here to help you where you can't do it. I'm here to heal you where you're broken. I'm here to fill you where you're empty. That's what God's here to do so that we might stand firm on our faith in him and trust in him no matter what tactic, no matter what scheme, no matter what strategy Satan might come up with, we can stand firm in our faith in Christ today. So if you would, let's stand to our feet. Maybe today, during this time of response, maybe this is a time for you to just to say, God, I trust in you. I just want to remind you and myself of that today, God. Or maybe this is a time for you to say for the first time, I've been placing my faith in something that's shifting. I've been placing my faith in something that is going to let me down. And you can place your faith today in Christ. I would love to help you walk through that. I would love to help you see Jesus for the first time today. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to respond. God, thank you that you can help us to stand firm in our faith. God, that even in the face of the most difficult things we could imagine, you give us faith that is firm, that is strong, that is true. And so God, this morning, may you draw people to yourself. May you draw us who are in relationship with you deeper. May you draw those who don't have a relationship with you into relationship today. Holy Spirit, work and move do incredible things that only you can do, that we might glorify your name today. We come to you, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Just